Welcome to Metro 30, the Metro Monthly's weekly conversation with the community. Hello, and welcome to Metro 30. I'm your host, Mark Paco. When you think of fast food in the 1960s, a few names come to mind. McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and Arby's. McDonald's, led by the innovative Ray Kroc, became a standard bearer for developing products aimed at a youthful, increasingly mobile America. Colonel Sanders, whose face appeared on buckets of fried chicken, represented a product that you could not disassociate with its founder. But Arby's was different. The chain's original stores were upscale and understated. Although its founders, brothers Forrest and Leroy Raffle, were present in the day-to-day operations, they were not widely known. They didn't use clowns or cartoon characters to attract station wagons full of kids. The company's slogan, Arby's Roast Beef Sandwich is Delicious, seemed simple, but when stated on a massive, blinking, 40-foot neon sign, it became an unquestioned marketplace fact. Surprisingly, many Mahoney Valley residents don't know that Arby's was created over 50 years ago in suburban Youngstown. The Raffle Brothers, owners of a local restaurant supply company, opened the first Arby's on Bourbon Poland Road in 1964. Arby's, which was derived from the initials of Raffle Brothers, was headquartered on Colonial Drive in Liberty. Although the Raffles sold the company to beverage giant Royal Crown Cola in the 1970s, many early offerings were developed locally, including the iconic roast beef sandwich and Jamocha shake. Local companies like Schwabels and the Peskin Company also factored into the company's early development. Fifty years later, it's surprising how much of the brothers' imprint remains on the restaurant chain. Even today, dining at Arby's remains an adult experience. A 2014 program brought surviving founder Leroy Raffle to Youngstown for a special anniversary celebration. Accompanied by his wife, Shirley Shanky Raffle, Leroy marked the chain's golden anniversary in a program hosted by the Mahoning Valley Historical Society. The event brought together former employees, franchise owners, and the current corporate brass. That night, Mr. Raffle spoke candidly, sometimes with great emotion, about the company that he created with his late brother. The following interview was conducted by your host prior to the event. It was also a 2018 Golden Quill finalist in magazines in the category of business, technology, and consumer. Thank you, Mr. Raffle, and welcome. Thanks for talking to Metro Monthly and Home Plate. We're going to start with a few basic questions. McDonald's had a burger menu. Kentucky Fried Chicken had poultry. But what made you want to do roast beef with Arby's? Well, we wanted to do something different. Nobody was doing roast beef. And uh, that's what we did. Arby's was different than its peers in the marketplace. For one, it seemed like it was aimed at an adult market. Was that intentional? Absolutely. It was always aimed at adults. When Arby's was started, Westerns were pretty big on TV, and you also had Bonanza and Ponderosa as restaurants. How did the popularity of Westerns help you in the marketing of the restaurant? We never considered that. I don't think it had any bearing at all. We, we did have somewhat of a Western theme in our original store. And of course, the, the Western hat was a Western hat. What did your family and friends think when you came up with this idea that you wanted to do this restaurant? They thought we were nuts because we were in the restaurant equipment business and supporting our families and educating our children. And in order to develop Arby's, we, we had to drop the equipment business and go into Arby's, which was a new startup. So by the time we opened the first door, we had already destroyed our previous business and our our families 
didn't think too much of it, but that's what we did. Describe what the world was like when you and your brother started Arby's. What was the whole landscape of restaurants and fast food like then? Well, fa fast foods, although they had been around for quite some time, were not as important in the economy as they are today. Uh, McDonald's was a strictly carry-out operation. You stepped up into the store, but there were no seats, and they sold a hamburger for 15 cents. And uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken was a menu item in restaurants, and they had not yet started their independent stores. Burger King was around. I, I, they weren't around here very much, so I can't tell you about them. Uh, but it was quite revolutionary to be starting with a 69 cent sandwich against McDonald's at 15 cents. The price was so much higher. What did you do to sell that? Well, uh, obviously we determined that people liked a thinly sliced roast beef sandwich on a nice bun. And uh, we felt that they would pay the price for it. We priced it according to the cost. So we had to get 69 cents. We couldn't get 15 cents for a roast beef sandwich. But people really were enthusiastic about it, and we did a very good business. What did each brother bring to the business in skill and temperament? Well, my, my brother uh, was a graduate of the Cornell Hotel School. Uh, I was a graduate of Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, which is business. So he was the food man, and I was more on the business end. And, uh, we always complimented each other with an E, complimented, and uh, he took care of his end of the business and I took care of mine. Uh, we never had a hostile disagreement in all the many years. Who designed your first restaurants? Were they local or did you have a national company? We had been in the restaurant equipment business. We designed restaurants, that's what we did. So we did the basic design, however, we hired an architect to design a building around our concept. Your goals for image and branding, was that all from the beginning stated in what you wanted to do? Absolutely, we felt that if you were going to get a higher price for a higher quality product, the building had to be in accordance with that concept. So the building itself was really upscale. It had a natural sandstone wall in the back, uh, uh, a curved ceiling with recessed lights. There was piped in music. Uh, the, uh, there was a glass enclosed rotisserie with a beautiful roast revolving. Uh, our uh, counter attendants were attired in chef's uniforms. And you walked into this place, there was sound, music, and beauty. He said modestly. Another element of the restaurant is the iconic Arby sign. It's my understanding that a local sign company designed that for you. Did they design it, or did they just make it for you? Well, we, des we designed the logo, and they made a sign using the logo. The logo was the hat that said Arby's. The sign was so much bigger than a lot of things out there. It was 40 foot high. 40 feet high. 40 Approximately. Feet. Approximately 40 feet high. No, it was exactly 40 so, so feet. 
How long was it before sign ordinances and a change in company direction changed how the 40-foot sign was designed? Well, uh, in those years, there weren't too many sign ordinances. That came later. So if you were to build a store today, you could not have a 40-foot sign. I was talking to Lee Schwabel, and he said that they developed the Bunfew at Schwabel's. They did. And my brother worked with them, and but they, they did design the bun. It was an egg bun with sesame seeds, and we buttered it and toasted it, and it was really very good, and it complemented the sandwich. Did that and the company take very long to develop? Was that something you went back and forth on? We, we got the idea to start this concept on October 31st, 1963, and we opened the first store on July 23rd, 1964. So however many months that is, less than 10 months, that's how long it took. Uh, large chains, when they wanted to develop a new concept like Olive Garden, would spend five years and a lot of, a lot of money. That's one thing that I was wondering, too. Today, focus groups determine menus, and everything is so segmented, and everyone is reaching a smaller group of people. But what did you do in 1964 to do market research and determine what you were going to serve? We did no market research. We ran across a uh, place in Revere Beach, Massachusetts, which, which is on the ocean. Uh, uh, we went there on October 31st, 1963, at midnight. And being a summer resort and a cold and rainy night, the only lights on in that entire area were from a place called Kelly's. And people were standing outside in the rain at a window and buying roast beef sandwiches, which was thinly sliced on a nice bun. So we didn't invent the idea of a roast beef sandwich, just as McDonald's didn't invent the idea of a hamburger on a bun. But that's where we got the idea. They're, they're still there, and they're probably the highest volume fast food outlet in the country. One thing that's a quirky element at Arby's is the horsey sauce. It's kind of spicy, and people weren't really used to spicy things, I don't think, in restaurants at that time. Was there a lot of discussion in the company whether or not to introduce that? Well, it, uh, it wasn't unusual for restaurants to serve horseradish on the side as a condiment with roast beef. So horsey sauce is horseradish. So it, that's not, it wasn't so revolutionary. As far as food goes, were there things that maybe didn't work out, things that you pulled from the restaurant? Well, the original Arby's only had one sandwich and no french fries, so there wasn't much to pull. You owned Arby's during a time when American tastes were starting to change and things got bigger and more competitive. I'm wondering, your decision to sell Arby's at the time that you did, was that spurred more by R.C. Cole approaching you, or did you think things were changing and you wanted to? We had, we had gotten into financial trouble, not because our stores weren't profitable, but we uh, had a public issue that never came out on Wall Street, and we were in financial trouble. And uh, my brother and I were ousted from the company, and new management was brought in by the banks, and uh, the company was in Chapter 11. Uh, I was invited to come back and run the company when the company was going down the drain and uh, we were able to turn it around very quickly and uh, I, I, I 
really don't remember the original question, but I know the answer. What was the question? The question was, what made you sell the company? Well, what, uh, that's, that was the question. What made us sell the company is we were really uh, chastened by such a uh, traumatic experience. And once the company was profitable again, we didn't want to take the chance of getting into financial trouble again. We felt that we needed a large company with uh, large financial resources behind us. And that's why we sold the company. When you see Arby's out in the world, what do you think about when you see just how many there are and that you created it? Well, the, the principal pleasure that I get and my brother, who's not with us anymore, always got was that there were just ordinary people that had these franchises and uh, not only made a good living, but created wealth on into subsequent generations. and. Uh, that that was the biggest reward that we had. Metro 30 is produced in collaboration with the Youngstown Radio Reading Service. Visit metromonthly.net for news, features, and the Valley's most complete calendar of events. And be sure to subscribe to the Metro 30 podcast. would take you four hours to make it home. But nobody wants to spend four hours cooking a sandwich. Well, Arby's does. At Arby's, you get a great roast beef sandwich that we spent four hours cooking just for you. At Arby's, the four-hour sandwich is five minutes away. If Arby's original roast beef sandwich isn't always enough to fill your appetite, now Arby's has something that will. Introducing Arby's Super, the big four-hour sandwich that's five minutes away.
Welcome to Metro 30, the Metro Monthly's weekly conversation with the community. Metro 30 is produced in collaboration with the Youngstown Radio Reading Service. Visit metromonthly.net for news, features, and the Valley's most complete calendar of events. And be sure to subscribe to the Metro 30 podcast. Welcome to Metro 30, the Metro Monthly's weekly conversation with the community. Welcome to Metro 30, the Metro Monthly's weekly conversation with the community. Metro 30 is produced in collaboration with the Youngstown Radio Reading Service. Visit metromonthly.net for news, features, and the Valley's most complete calendar of events. And be sure to subscribe to the Metro 30 podcast.